0: Here's Christoph with today's episode. Let's go. That's right. Let's go. Let's go. This intro is getting longer and longer, but there's so much stuff we want to share with you guys. And so right along those lines of sharing valuable content with everyone, today we want to talk about live streaming. I know it's a little meta if you think about it but live streaming is taken off in my opinion everything that i'm seeing out there more and more brands are doing it um you know now we have different channels on the tvs um internet tvs and and whatever it might be we have virtual conferences everybody is doing everything live and i love it and you know why i love it because you can't hide if you are a jerk and i like to connect with people that're not jerks so Right along those lines, today's guest is not a jerk at all. He's an expert in the live streaming field, and I have plenty of questions for him. And the one thing that really struck out to me with uh, today's guest is just the way he talks to his audience. He hangs out like you're hanging out with a friend. And I don't know that I've seen anybody else actually do it to the extent he does it. Uh, Known him for a number of years. I don't remember how we uh, we ran into each other. Twitter. I'm pretty sure it was Twitter, but I don't remember what it was exactly. But it's been it's been years for sure. Um, Today's guest is I Ross Brandt on Twitter. We'll get him on the show here. He doesn't go by I Ross. I don't think in real life. Maybe (laughs) he does. Ross, welcome to the show. Really glad to have you on here.
1: Hey, thanks so much for having me. It's great to be here and uh, congratulations on all the success of your book. I'm seeing it going up the charts in different countries and it's,
0: uh, there's been a great response to it. So congratulations on that. I really appreciate that. Yeah. I just saw it. It was number two in marketing books or PR books in Germany. Now I did grow up in Germany and right behind Seth Godin. So that's definitely a good company to be in. Yes. Um, <laughs> that's so, terrific. Right. So when I was on on the, uh, the the circuit a little bit talking about the book when it first launched, you interviewed me live on the air. And I, I was stunned how you interacted with the audience. And it, it was kind of like, you know, like this is how I do it, right? I jump in. Let's go. And I mean, even my intro says that now. Let's go. That's my <laughs> wife, by the way. I wanted her to say, let's go. She didn't want to do that. So she rewrote it. But you hung out. You said, hello, how's it going? Like you answered every single question, I I think. Talk to me about how do you do that? How do you engage with people when, you know, they're really not there. I mean, they're there, but they're not. It's not a face-to-face conversation. How did you learn that?
1: So I I worked in radio on air for for 12 years. and. I learned a lot during that time, but then coming to doing video, my approach was very much kind of radio on TV ish, you know, like the old simulcasts of radio shows. Now, today, when they simulcast a radio show on TV, it's very TV friendly and the guys are looking right into the camera and all that. But back in the old days, the camera sort of looked in on the radio show but they operated the radio show as though it were a radio show and didn't focus at all on the camera. And so that's kind of how I started doing things. But with the camera, it does add a little bit of sort of formality to things. And you're looking. So I've kind of gone back to a little bit of that radio thing where I'll just open up with a story about myself or about something that happened or, hey, I got to tell you about this. And then... It, rather than opening sort of the formal intro, welcome to the show. I'm Ross Brand. This is, I, I still do that, but I don't always open that way. And so, in opening the other way with a just, hey, I got to tell you about this thing that happened, or, you know, did you see the new? I, I'm doing it much more like I'm talking to a friend, and each member of the audience is a friend. And I'm talking to them one on one on one on one, kinda. So it, it it's something that I, I've developed over time, but I've made more of a conscious effort to put that into uh in, in, into my my way of doing things lately, even more so. But I've always enjoyed the hangout. Like when I wasn't doing a show and I would just jump on, then I'm just chatting with the audience and like there's no structure or anything. When I'm doing a show, I tend to structure the show, but I'm trying to bring in at least a little of the storytelling aspect, even if I'm not able to engage with everybody in the chat. Certainly when you're doing an interview, you don't necessarily want to lose the flow of it and lose the focus on your guest and interrupt the important subject with a shout out or something like that. But I find that it's been a a really good way to do things. It's been a really enjoyable way to build a relationship with the audience.
0: So, of course, well, I I grew up in journalism, too, on the print side. And then I moved more Hmm. and more into TV. Um, But, you know, really, my training is as a print reporter. That's been a few years now, as you might imagine. Yeah, I started on the print side, too, actually. (laughs) Awesome. uh, Journalists make good storytellers. Um, But... I would imagine, like, so every time we do anything, right, like when people come on and they're not used to being on air or whatever, everything feels a lot longer, right? So if I'm just talking and there is a pause, like sometimes I joke and I say long pause, Um, the long pause in my head feels a lot longer than it actually feels in real life, you know, to the listeners. And I I think probably when you have a conversation, you just kind of you're waiting for the next question, you're hanging out. Um, How do you overcome that or what tips do you have for people to overcome the feeling of, oh, my goodness, I'm just sitting here? And they kind of are, right, because it's a two-way conversation. But um, how do you overcome that? Well, I overcame it not in the best way for a long time. And that is I used
1: filler words. I would say, ah, and um, you know, "uh uh-huh, right. And along the way, that became not the best way to do it and so i started to just breathe and i still like shotgun my i speak faster when i'm i'm doing a show my answers tend to be longer and i cram more into the space than if we were having a casual conversation and i would probably be more listening and then give you my opinion and then listen whereas when i'm a guest on a show it's kind of like Give the info, get get the stuff in there, answer the question. Uh, but pausing, just pausing and breathing, replacing that filler word or that need to go with a breath so you're consciously doing something. So now I'm not saying ah or um as much. I'm pausing and I'm getting my next thought together. And even as you've made me conscious of it, you've noticed that I've slowed down a little bit. And that I'm not racing quite as much. So being conscious of it is actually a great first
0: start. And thank you for reminding me of that. <laughs> <laughs> well, you're welcome. We o- I always joke, I said, if nobody would be listening to the show, I still would enjoy it because I learn so much from every guest that comes on here. And that's, I think, a lot of brands need to remember, too. You can learn things that the people you're talking to can learn things and everybody right. can learn together and, and just, you know, grow together. And I think that's the beauty of live streaming, um, you know, to to a large extent. Now, you are also doing virtual conferences and I have mixed feelings on virtual <laughs> events because some are not very good. That's correct. <laughs> <laughs> some are just like, you know what I mean? Um and and I don't know. It's just it's like there's some good ones and there's some bad ones. And but overall, I'll tell you this. I am going to content marketing world again this year. I already got my flight booked and everything. So I am going to Cleveland. That's I think my next um work trip or work-related trip. Um, but I also I don't mind just being here in my office, in my studio. In fact, I I was kind of snarky earlier, Raz, and I I said, if I have to go to an in-person meeting again, do I have to carry along? all these lights because my lighting is great, right? <laughs> Will it be great in real life? Probably not. So do I have to bring a ring light, put it in front of me in a conference room? So tell me about the, the push to virtual events. How how do you make them better? How do you uh, engage people differently? So I,
1: I can tell you what I learned and also what my my aim was. So aim number one was to have a real focus there's a lot of marketing virtual events and events in other areas other professions and they seem very much like check the box like i'm going to do this i'm going to put the videos out and i'm going i i really don't not focused on making money i'm not focused on quality of content i just want to have a bunch of names that spoke and I, I i don't mean to knock anybody i just feel like There isn't the same thought given because there isn't the pressure. If you're streaming it to social media, putting it on your website, there isn't a lot of pressure to drive revenue to make up for the expense of getting a ballroom and a hotel and the travel and the logistics and and all the things that go into running an in-person conference. Um, And so I think the content suffers a little bit. Sometimes, and it, there just isn 't a lot of due diligence put into. is this going to be worth sitting through and it 's often spread out over a lot of days. There are reasons for doing that, and I may end up doing some of the things that i 'm now decrying because I may find out that they work better for certain audiences, having mm-hmm. things spread out, maybe pre recorded maybe on a website but here 's what i I found: having a dedicated event platform. I used Hopin this time and I'm, you know, open to do it, using it again. I'm open to looking at other ones. There's certainly challenges and expense with using it, but it feels more like you're going to an event when you have to register and get a ticket and it's live. Most people do their virtual summits a combination of live and pre-recorded or all pre-recorded but this was a live eight-hour broadcast. So you're showing up, you're going to an event platform, it's live, you want to be a part of the conversation. I found that massively increased watch time by doing it Mm -hmm. that way. So that's, that's number one. Number two, I did something that is almost, I think, unheard of for a small independent event. And that is I paid every single one. I paid all 20 speakers, myself included. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. So w- when you pay speakers, you also can ask that, you know, do something fresh, focus on the topic. Don't pitch. You'll have an opportunity to share a, a you know, a, a call to action or a, a lead magnet. Just don't tie it to an upsell, please. And we'll, you'll mm-hmm. get promoted plenty and you'll get paid. Um, You have also from a dedicated platform, you have the ability to have certain perks for sponsors and perks for attendees, some networking. I don't think I took advantage of those features to the extent that I could have. And I know that better for next time. So I think Mm -hmm. those are some of the things that can up the quality. You need to treat it like it's a like it's an in-person event in the sense of this is this is my online footprint. You know, like this is okay. People now have to buy the recordings if they want to watch it, if they didn't take the free ticket and watch it live. But still, this is I think it's not enough just to do one. I think you can do them better than a lot of people are doing them. And you can also make money from them. That wasn't, you know, 100 percent the focus this time. The focus was to not screw it up the first time, right? But I did make <laughs> some money from it, and I mean, the people who do virtual summits and they do they do amazing stuff, and they make a lot of money, and they have valuable programs around it, and they mix in sponsorships and affiliates, and you know, they have an offer on the backside and all that. So I, I think it's a very good way to provide information that's neither a one-off live stream. But it isn't a course either. It's a it's a get together with some sense of networking and community if you structure it right. And I think I'm not shilling for any event platform, at least not yet. Uh, But (laughs) I I, I think getting people off of social media is a major help. You're cutting out the distractions. And I, I also think that organic reach at this point is so bad. That, that streaming it to a Facebook page or something is not the way to have an audience show up, get notified, be engaged, and stay for for quite a while. It just isn't structured that way. And you know YouTube's challenging too, unless you have a huge community. So th- I think that's my biggest takeaway, is that you have to treat it like an event. Just like you go find a venue for the event, you need to find the venue for the virtual event.
0: Yeah, very, very interesting. Especially So social media, I go back and forth mm-hmm. on that a little bit because, you know, the, the organic reach goes up and down. And right now it's on some channels. It's still going up on live streams. So Amazon is going fantastic. Usually not always, mm-hmm. but for the most part, you know, Facebook, I stream to Facebook, but forget about it. I don't see much there. Twitter <laughs> is Okay. And YouTube, I just stream there because we're, we're streaming there anyways. And, and LinkedIn does relatively well. <clears throat> the other thing I like, I do appreciate your comment about when you pay the speakers, you can actually ask them to do things. And this is one of my things that, you know, when I speak, drives me crazy, Ross, when, when people don't want to pay you, but then they got a laundry list of things that they want you to do. So, you know, and I, I typically just kind of give up on them.
1: Well, I think, well I think it's
0: it's hard to ask
1: people I'm hearing a little bit of an echo. I don't know if the sounds' coming from your end or my end. Um, but it's hard to ask people that uh, you know you've got to do all this, and you're speaking, and by the way, I'm going to sell advertising against your talk, I'm going to sell tickets, I'm going to sell mm-hmm. programs, but I somehow can't budget a few dollars to pay you. I mean, I'm not going to pretend that I'm paying people hundreds of dollars to speak or thousands of dollars, but I'm paying them something and it's, it's certainly much more than most events are paying. And most events actually aren't paying at all. So it wasn't a high barrier to cross, but I I didn't do it on the cheap either. But what I'm saying is that I, I, You see events that you know are bringing in hundreds of thousands of dollars in revenue and charging hundreds to thousands of dollars in tickets, and then when it comes time to pay a speaker, oh, I'm sorry, we don't have a budget for that. You don't have a budget for that because you're not prioritizing it and because you know you can get a million applications of people who want to speak for free to get their first opportunity, and then maybe you have the big names who come back For their own reasons. Right. But my my thing was, how am I going to do a summit on monetizing live streaming and not pay the people who are providing the live streaming (laughs) content? Seems a little (laughs) hypocritical. Right. But I but I also think that this is this is an issue that needs to be addressed in the industry. Um, If the event is charging and the event is making money, then. I don't know. Something needs to change about that. Maybe it's a it's a little honorarium. It's a stipend. It's a little something. But there needs to be some more acknowledgement that, you know, this is work and the value there's value that the event's making. And I want to lead in that way. Like, I'm not doing this for free. I'm going to make money from it. But I want everybody else to. And as I make more money, I want to be able to pay speakers more and more. And yeah. I, I think that should be something that speakers get to the point of, Hey, I'll speak at a few of my favorite events for free. I want to be part of those communities and I get something out of it and I love it. But I also think it's okay to say, eh, you know what? Three, five, whatever speaking gigs for free a year. Hey, mm-hmm that's I'm locking it down there. And, and after that pay me, or there's plenty of other things I can do with my
0: weekend or my, you know, my time. It's very true. And the the way I usually do it, there's some events I speak at for free just because of what the event is. And, you know, and, and also the ease of use, you know, so if I just have to sit here like the live streams and let's get back to live streaming a little bit in your event, the timing, I want to ask you about that too. But um, if a live streamer makes it easy for me, right? So for example, Christoph, come on my show. Here's what we're going to talk about. I'm, I'm in pretty much like I don't even look how big they are, right? But if somebody comes to me and says, here's the 10 questions I want to ask you, or or not even that, let's back up. They say, send me the questions you want to add, me to ask and the answers. That's like already too much work. You know, if they want to have a prep call, I don't, I don't do it because I don't have like, it just, I can't fit it in. So I'm trying to make it easy for all the guests on my show, right? I just say, here's the link, join me. Um, and I always, I don't know if you noticed this, but I, I join, I, I schedule my meeting with my guests for the top of the hour. And then we go live eight minutes later, seven minutes later. So you don't have to cut into your previous meeting. Right. Uh, and I think that I'm trying to be helpful. So on your I, I write the bios uh, I, I write or compile or grab
1: the bios. I grab the headshot unless yeah. I'm thinking like in your case, you had a book coming out. So I'm conscious of the fact, OK, you may want a headshot that's consistent with the book cover, or your book promotion. But in general, I'm grabbing it from online. All these people who I'm interviewing have. LinkedIn and Twitter and a website and a speaker page? Why do I need to ask them and send them forms and and all this? I know. And why do I need to make them fill out an application? I knew when I asked you to come on my show, why I was asking you, you had a book about live streaming coming out. That was a no, there, there was nothing that I needed you to fill out to tell me if I wanted to put your Twitter up, know exactly where to find that. If I can't find something, I'm going to assume from somebody who's a live streamer or a marketer, it's because they don't want it out there, you know? And and so, of course, if there's questions or I say, you know, hey, what would you like to promote? Is there something, you know, a few bullet points you want me to hit? But in general, I know why I'm having the person on. I mean, you should be asking people that you want to talk to for the reasons that you want to talk to them, and that your audience wants to hear from them. So I'm not big on application processes. Like, I, I I should, if I'm not staying on top of what's going on and I don't know who I would want to have on, then, I mean, that's, I think that's a big part of the job as a host is, mm-hmm. is that you're doing the sourcing. You're not just sitting back and letting it come to you. And if somebody comes to you, How much trouble is it to do five minutes of of Googling and find out who they are and whether you're interested in talking to them? Because people don't show up for a big name. And if they do, they show up for the name for that show and then they go back. Bottom line is, Christoph, people show up for you week after week because they like what you do. And part of that is the guests that you have on knowing that over time, you're going to have good guests. If you just have one good guest, and then you go back to, well, I don't really care that much. I'll just pick anybody, whatever. It, there's there's no staying
0: power from that, even if the guest is the most famous person in the world. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Very interesting. So and how about timing? And uh, so by the way, the only form I make people fill out is mm-hmm. I use Calendly to schedule because otherwise we're going to end up going into the um, 800 emails back and forth I when it works. So yeah. That's about the only thing. But other than that, I don't make people send me pictures. If I can't find you and you're on my show, I wonder why you're going to be on my show to begin with, right? Because you should have the picture. Like if you are if you don't even have a, a LinkedIn profile with a good picture, like I don't know why you should be on my show to begin with. I mean, I have low, you know, sometimes uh, um, uh, I talk to anybody. <laughs> but there's some standards here. All right. Well, tell me about timing. I noticed your your conference uh, was on a Saturday. And I have some thoughts on timing, too. But my timing when it comes to live streams has mostly to do with Internet issues. So I notice mm-hmm. when I stream late late at night, everybody is at home. It's a pain, even when they're being helpful. You know, So I don't try to live stream at night. First of all, I like to go to bed early, too. Mm-hmm. But you went live on the weekend. Tell me about that, and people showed up for eight hours. Well, again, I think it's the going to another platform,
1: making it an event, not a, a live stream. I certainly don't typically book live stream shows on the on the weekends. I, mm-hmm. I I mean, I might go live if hey something cool happened or something interesting. I just feel like chatting with with you know, my audience. Yeah. I love doing that, but I mean, I would never, you know, a guest is coming on. We're figure if we had to figure out a time, I'm not going to first go. Yep. Saturday afternoon, 2 PM. Let's do, let's do that. Right. Um, I'm, I'm yes. first thinking I used to be very much. I, I used to think 7 PM Eastern was the best time to go live because, but this has gone back six years now when I picked that time and stuck with it for a couple of years, because, it's before prime time East Coast. It's after work for most people. Um I, I don't know if all that stuff matters post pandemic. I, I, I think you should go live when your energy is good, when you want to do it, and at a time that isn't ultimately completely inconvenient. You know, if you have an audience in the UK, you want to be mindful of when they're if you have an audience in Australia. You want to be mindful if they can participate, but ultimately you want to put it in your schedule where your energy is going to be good, where you're not going to be distracted, where you're going to look forward to doing it because the live is only part of the experience. You also want to have it good for the podcast. You want to have it good for replays. You want to be able to take clips and maybe put them on your YouTube channel or on Instagram. So you you have other reasons that you want to create quality content besides the live audience. And if you're only thinking strategically, when are they going to show? When are they not going to show? Well, they, the reality is you don't know. And And what can be a great time one week can be a terrible time the other week. The classic example is I went live. I had a great guest. I promoted it. And it was a week after I had like, 10,000 views on a show and I'm thinking, all right, we are going to roll now. And there was crickets. Right. And when I got off, I realized that Mark Zuckerberg had gone live at the same time that I was doing my show. So Facebook is more likely to feed that to people in my newsfeed than, Hey, you know, in their newsfeed, than they are the show. So uh, you, you just don't know. I mean, there's so many things that factor in. Um, but I, I, Most importantly, I'll I'll just come back to it. Go live when it works for you. And the audience, if they like you, they'll find you at that time. And if they can't because they're busy, they will watch the replay. They will consume in another format, be it if you upload to YouTube something, if you put it as a podcast, clips, read your blog. As long as you're putting it out there in different formats, they will find it if they want to. And more likely than not now, with everybody working from home and flex hours and all this kind of stuff, I, I think people will show up live, basically, as long as it's within their, their waking hours,
0: they'll find time. And if they can't, like I say, there's there's the replay. I'm always amazed how many people watch the replay. So something mm-hmm. to keep in mind. Time flies when you have fun. And this episode, once again, went by in no time. I learned so much. I wow. hope you did the same. Ross, it was great to have you on the show. Good to see you again. And good luck with all the conferences. Really appreciate you sharing your knowledge today.
1: Yeah, thanks so much for having me. And again, congratulations
0: on the great job. With Really, really appreciate that. Thanks, everyone, for watching and listening. Until next time. Episode of the Business Storytelling Podcast. Please rate, review, and recommend our show to your friends and coworkers. Until next time. Hello, hi. Are you still there? I have a special offer for you. Thanks for listening all the way to the end. My Going Live book is now available on Amazon.com, and if you're in the United States, I'm happy to send you a signed copy which you can order at paypal.me forward slash forward slash 12. Thanks for your interest. If you're not in the United States, I can't send you a signed copy, but of course you can order on amazon.com.